If we turn together this morning to the book of Luke. Luke is the third of four Gospels. Beginning of the New Testament, Matthew and Mark, and then Luke. We're beginning now a long journey in the Gospel of Luke. Tentatively, don't hold me to this, 78 sermons. It's difficult to take a whole chapter of Luke at a time (laughs) because our Lord Jesus does so many things. This morning we're going to look specifically at Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and his introduction. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. The word of the Lord is completely without error. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for His blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your word. We thank You, O Lord, that You are the God who speaks. And we ask, O Lord, that You would make us swift to hear that we might in our hearing see the Lord Jesus. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this is a bit of what we might term a prequel for us. You know what a prequel is, don't you? Sometime in the 70s or 80s, it became fashionable to not just make a sequel, that is, a story that followed on a successful story or film, but to show the backstory, what had happened previously. And yes, young people, there were prequels before bad Star Wars movies. We spent some period of time in Luke's book of Acts, seeing the Acts of the Apostles and how the Gospel affected the entire known world at the time, how churches were planted, how the testimony of our Lord Jesus Christ changed lives, and how especially the Apostles Peter and Paul affected the world around them. Well, this morning we begin our journey through Luke's Gospel, which is the story before Acts. And it 
I would encourage you to think of it that way because the story of Acts is really our story, isn't it? It's the story of the church carrying the message of Jesus to the world around it. But in order to do that successfully, in order to do that properly, in order to do that in a way that glorifies and honors God, we must know that story well. And what better way to learn that story than to walk day by day, week by week, with Jesus. That's what we are about to do. To see the journeys, the actions, the miracles, and most of all, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ through His birth, preparation for ministry, ministry and death. But this morning we begin with an introduction. And just as ministers introduce their sermons, so here Luke is a master introducing his gospel. And so before we begin on each of the aspects of this journey, we're going to look at this introduction this week and ask ourselves three questions. We're going to become a bit of a journalist. Because after all, we'll see that's what Luke is at heart. Three questions. A what, a how, and a why. A what. What is Luke's gospel? What is it that the gospel is? Secondly, how did he write it? What were the means that he used? And then thirdly, why did he write it? And that to take beyond simply just because he thought it would be a good idea or because God told him to. But there's a purpose inside this gospel. There's a reason why he wrote it. So let's begin then by looking at these questions and seeing if in answering them we can come to know Jesus better. First, the question comes up, what is Luke's gospel? And we see that the gospel is, it's God's story. And it's God's history. Now, many of you may know that the word gospel actually means, comes from a root to mean good news. And it is for this that we are, are very thankful. We need good news and so the gospel comes to us. But even in thinking of the gospel as good news, it sets us a bit of a difficulty before our eyes. What? The gospel causes us a problem? Well, it can if we don't view it properly. Because you see, when we think about the gospel and we think about good news, we immediately begin to think about, first and foremost, ourselves. Now, this shouldn't come as a surprise because self-focus is our main problem as sinful human beings. Self-focus manifests itself in problems in our marriages when we don't care for our spouse, when we don't listen to our spouse. It manifests itself in our relationships, when we have difficulty relating to other people because we're constantly thinking of what we will say or what we will do or what will happen to us. You might think of it this way. Have you ever had the experience of driving down a road and then all of a sudden, without expecting it, there was horrible, horrible traffic? And your first thought was, I'm going to be late. I'm unhappy. I'm going to beep this horn very loud and make traffic move. 
And you wonder why everyone isn't moving and why is things going so slow and why is the world all against me with this traffic? And then you drive on and drive on and you see the reason for the traffic is there's been a horrific accident. Someone's not just a few minutes late. Someone's not just inconvenienced. Someone else is hurt and in pain. And you immediately say to yourself, why was I so focused on myself? It's okay if I'm a couple minutes late. I need to pray for this person who's hurt. You see, sometimes in the midst of the everyday, we begin to put blinders on and even the gospel becomes a reason to think about ourselves primarily. You see, we bring our self Focus to the gospel because we do have a real need and our thought becomes, how can God fix me? How can God help me? What does the Bible say for me? How does this text speak to me and help me? Instead of saying, what does this text tell me about my great God? Do you see the difference? You see, the gospel is God's story because the good news does not begin with me and my problem. The good news begins with God. He is the creator. He is the one who is redeeming. Really, the gospel is, in a nutshell, all about God. It is about the Lord God Himself, the triune God, redeeming for Himself a people to build Himself a kingdom so that He might be glorified. You see, that is what the Gospel is about. And a wondrous byproduct of that is I don't have to go to hell. And my sins can be forgiven. But you see, primarily it is about God. It is His story, what He has done. And Luke begins this long, detailed account of everything that Jesus did that He thought we needed to know in exactly this fashion. Look at verse 1. He has undertaken to compile a narrative of the things, what? That have been accomplished among us. Who accomplished them? God. You see, this word here for accomplished can also mean fulfilled. What Luke is about to do is to tell us God's purpose and God's actions among us. That's where he begins. Our eyes begin not on the ground, not on ourselves, not on each other, but on God. Luke orients us we might say, toward true north. Now we know where we're going. If we see that northern star, if we know where east and west and south are, now we can journey in confidence because we know what is most important. That's what Luke is telling us. The story is about what God has done, what He has fulfilled, how He is victorious. But also remember that this work that God has done, is among us. It is in our midst. And so Luke is is telling us that he is a believer. He identifies with the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows the personal aspect of what God has done. This is not a detached telling. This is Luke describing for you 
how what God has done has changed him and changed you. Luke's gospel is God's story. But the gospel is also much more than a story. We can lose sight of that as we go down through chapter by chapter and we see the vivid details and the statements that we remember and the memorable words and it just leaps off the page, doesn't it? We don't even need illustrations. If I begin to describe for you Peter walking on water, it's already in your mind, isn't it? If I talk to you about the withered fig tree, you can almost smell the branches, can't you? You see, the details that we have, but you see, it is so much more than a story. It is a narrative, Luke says, of facts. It seemed good to me to write an orderly account, Luke says. All that I have learned from eyewitnesses. He wants to tell us, if I can paraphrase an old television show. Just the facts. Ma'am, answer. And we can lose sight of this as well. We think of the grandeur of the gospel, and we think of the emotion of the gospel, and we think of the story aspect of the gospel, and we forget that a critical aspect of the gospel is that it is true. It is historical. You see, biblical faith, Christianity does not begin with philosophy. It does not begin with a concept or an idea that then we tell others that they might live their lives better by this philosophy. No, it is not a philosophy in search of validation. It is a true historical account that affects the way we live. Every other religion is otherwise. Every other philosophy is otherwise. Plato thought of the idea of forms and of the ideal And he thought about this philosophy and he philosophized on it. And he made it in greater detail and he used excellent arguments to convince people why it was good and wise and how they would be helped to live by it. But he never tried to show us where the cave was, where the allegory was. He never tried to show us the ideals so that we could touch them and handle them. No, you see, philosophy is all in the mind, but Christianity is true and is a fact. Examples of this abound. It is based on real historical facts. Sin is not just a concept. It is something very real, isn't it? You know it well, don't you? You know it so well that if I interviewed you about it, you would be embarrassed to answer. The sin that is in your own life. The sin that gnaws at you that even your spouse or close family members do not know about. You know the reality of sin in your bones. And as real as that is, who Jesus is is also real. What the gospel is about is Jesus is who he said he was. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a helpful guide. He is God incarnate. Because it's true. Jesus did what the Bible says he did. 
When the Bible says He rose from the dead, He rose from the dead. When the Bible says that He walked on water, He walked on water. When the Bible says that He rose a young girl from the dead, He rose her from the dead. That is what you must believe. You must not believe good things about Jesus. What the Gospel is about is, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, fully divine, fully human, that He came and was born of a virgin, and that He lived a perfect life, and that He ministered among the people, and that He testified to the truth of what He said by signs, wonders, and miracles. And that He died an atoning death on the cross, a true and a real dead, and that He was... He was in the grave three days. And that He rose from the dead and lives again forever. That is truth. And you must believe that to be saved. You cannot believe good ideas. You cannot believe platitudes. You cannot philosophize. What Luke says is you must believe God's story. It is true. So many others want to take you astray. Truth matters. And so, this is the story of God. We've seen now what Luke's Gospel is, but then we ask ourselves, how did he go about writing it? What did he do? Well, if truth is important, if history is important, then you can't just slap this all together, can you? You can't just get a bunch of post-it notes. How many of you remember old-style research paper writing? Yeah. This is, uh, young people, this is not only before iPads, this is before computers. This is when what you had to do was you got index cards and you wrote stuff on your index cards, right? All of your facts, all of your references, and then you needed a really big space because you had to lay them all out because there was no word processing. And you didn't want to type things twice. So what you would do is you would lay it all out and you would organize it from beginning to end, flow of argument. You wouldn't just sit down and say, I think I'll write a paper and start typing. You organized it and put it together. And that's what Luke is doing here. He's very careful about what he does. And we can glean a little bit about Luke himself from this and we can glean a little bit about the Gospel from what we know of Luke. So for example... We do believe that Luke was not a Jew. That's a little unusual for a faith that comes out of Judaism. Even Paul, who was the minister to the Gentiles, was a Jew. Luke has a Greek name. And he writes excellent Greek. That you'll have to trust me on. He was known as... a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. So he saw the story of the Gospel in action, day after day, place after place. He saw people's lives changed by the Gospel. He was not just someone in an academic tower. And he was also a physician. Now this is important for the way that he puts this Gospel together. So the doctors, both in the house and out of the house, will forgive me. But is there anything more difficult than going to see a doctor, especially when you don't know what's wrong with you? They poke you. They prod you. They ask you what you ate. They ask you how you sleep. They ask you where you sit. 
They ask you every question about every detailed and private life item and bodily function you have. What gives the doctor this right? Well, he's trying to find out the truth. And you see, doctors have to have that kind of mind. They can't just look at you and go, yeah, I guess you look sort of sick. No, they have to drill down and find out what's wrong. And so they have to have that kind of mind that can look and see various facts and bring them together in an organized fashion. Luke is absolutely perfect for this job. He has that kind of inquisitive mind. And so he begins here with this introduction, speaking to what he knows is a non-Jewish, sophisticated audience. This introduction is in line with the great pieces of literature of the period. This is how Herodotus writes. This is how Thucydides writes. This is how the great historians and literary men of this era wrote. And they did it for a reason. They didn't have dust jackets for books. They didn't have blurbs. They didn't have user reviews on Amazon. If they wanted you to read what they wrote, they had to be able to say right from the beginning what they were going to say and why it was important. Because remember, they didn't even have books. Would you unroll a big, long, 30-foot scroll just to kind of find out if you wanted to read it? No, what would you do? You'd unroll the first little bit. You'd look at it. You'd decide whether you'd roll it back up again or whether you'd sit down and read it. And so Luke grabs our attention right from the beginning. He says, I did this very carefully. I followed closely all the things that were involved with Jesus. He says, I did this for some period of time in the past. I have been hard at work at this. All of the things that you need to know about Jesus, I have researched, I have organized, and now I am going to give them to you. And he keeps his promise. Do you know that Luke is the longest book in the New Testament? It's the longest gospel. Do you know that many of the details that you take for granted are only found in Luke's gospel? You know, as we come upon the holiday season, we think of the the various songs of Mary and of Zechariah only in this gospel. We think of some of our our favorite parables, the Good Samaritan, the Pharisee, and the Publican. Only in this Gospel. We think of the wonder of what Jesus taught on the road to Emmaus and how He described how all of the Old Testament speaks of Him and how He opened up all of the Old Testament only in this Gospel. Ladies, Almost all of the information we have about New Testament Bible women of faith, Elizabeth, Mary, Martha, the other Mary, comes from this Gospel. Because Luke did not want to leave out a single detail that was important. He wants you to know who Jesus' mother is. He wants you to know who Mary and Martha are. He wants you to know about as many things as he can tell you. It is a carefully researched detailed gospel. But there is a warning here. Do not take that careful research to say that this is somehow Luke's product alone. 
and that God wasn't involved. No, this is still the inspired, inerrant, true Word of God. Our doctrine of inspiration says that the Word of God is written by men, inspired by God. That is, it bears all the marks of Luke's personality. His inquisitiveness, his detail, his organization. But every detail and all of the organization is superintended by God because He is the one who wants us to have this message. He is the one who was overseeing, as it were, all of Luke's research. This is true. And it is inspired. It is also very, very well organized. Luke very humbly says... You know, it occurred to me that I might write, I might want to write an orderly account for you. Now there's the understatement of the week. Because you see, what this means is, things are written in sequence. And things can be in two kinds of main sequences. They could be in chronological sequence, in time, or they could be in sequence of logic, of order. And what Luke is about to give us here is both. In the main, this book is chronologically arranged. You can go, and at the beginning of Luke are things that happened in the beginning of Jesus' life. In the middle are things that happened in the middle. And at the end are things that happened at the end. It's chronological. But it's more than that because, you see, Luke is going to put before us a theme of redemption and what Jesus is doing. It's not just about the life of Jesus because even detailed Luke leaves things out, doesn't he? I know it's every parent's secret wish and dream to find a few missing verses from Luke and get Jesus' teenage years. So that you could hand this to your young people and say, see, when his mother told Jesus to clean his room, look here, clean the room. We're missing that. So it's not every detail, but it's every detail for a purpose. And so Luke has given us this gospel. First, he tells us about the coming of Jesus, how he was born, how he was an infant. And then he tells us about how Jesus prepared for ministry even before he went off and ministered. And then he begins to tell us about his initial ministry, which ironically enough was not to, to a Jewish area, but to a Gentile area of Galilee. Because Luke is concerned about Jesus being the Savior of the world, including him. And then we see Jesus in chapter 9, this wonderful verse where he sets his face toward Jerusalem. And then we begin to see Jesus moving inexorably toward the cross. And that's, of course, where the Gospel ends with the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and then also with His resurrection. This is how Luke wrote this Gospel. He wrote it with very painstaking care. And as we study it, we must take that same care. I'm warning you now, you will be tempted to tune out the reading of portions of this Gospel because you know the story so well. But I challenge you, listen for the details Luke provides. Look at the order in which he sets events up. 
He's speaking to your heart. Well, we've seen what Luke's Gospel is and how he wrote it. The last thing that we look at is, why did he write it? I don't think it was for the royalties. He wrote this Gospel for a specific purpose and he tells us this here in verses 3 and 4. He wrote this orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you might have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. He wrote the Gospel for a specific reason. That you may know and that you may know for sure. You see, this gets us back to the nature of the Gospel. It's of ultimate importance, isn't it? We just got through saying earlier that Christianity, biblical religion, saving faith is about believing certain true facts. So how can we not learn and hear and believe and share those facts? That's what Luke is doing. Do you know these truths? Have they taken up residence in your heart? These things may be new to you. You may have some idea of who Jesus is and the things that He's done, but you may not really know all of the things that He claimed. Luke is going to lay those out for us. For others of us, things that Jesus did may become all too familiar and we forget the power and the glory of them. You see, Luke wants you to know. Because he wants your life to be changed. He wants you to know the Lord Jesus Christ in a saving way and for that to affect you so deeply that you bring that message to others. He wants you to know. But he also wants you to know for sure. He addresses this Gospel to this man, Theophilus. Some of you that are thinking about having children may want to consider Theophilus for a name. And then when someone says, Theophilus, you could say, well, he's most excellent. And Luke, after all, wrote him a gospel. Now, who is this Theophilus? He's also a Greek. And he's not just most excellent in, in a cool kind of sense. This is a term that would have been used of a an official in the Greek and Roman world. You may remember in Acts, the governors Felix and Festus were described by Paul as being most excellent. And so, this is a man who is important and who knows the story, Luke says. He says, you know things you have been taught by word of mouth. You're like Apollos. You remember Apollos? He had been taught things, but he needed to be taught better. And so they brought him alongside and taught him. That's what Theophilus needs. You see, that's what so many of us need. We know the story. We believe on Jesus. He has changed us, but it doesn't stop there. Because you see, we not only need to know, we need to know for sure. Because it's one thing to know Jesus when you're sitting in church in a Sunday school room. It's another thing to know Jesus when your child is deathly ill. It's another thing to know Jesus when your marriage is breaking apart. It's another thing to know Jesus when you've just been fired or laid off. You see, you need to know for sure. 
And Luke wants you to know for sure. You need to get this kind of assurance. And this assurance does not come, beloved, from looking at our own works and performance. So often that is where we look. Oh, I know I'm saved. I teach Sunday school. Oh, I know I'm saved. I pray. Oh, I know I'm saved. I do this. Those are good evidences of the work of Jesus in your life. But that's not where you go for assurance because what happens then when you don't feel like praying? What happens then when you're not teaching Sunday school? Do you lose your assurance? It doesn't come from looking at an experience. You don't say, oh, I know I'm saved because I stood up in a meeting on May 25th, 1983, and that's how I know I'm saved. No. What happens if you feel different about your experience? What happens if your experience is not as you remember it? No, the only way that we can have real assurance of the work of Jesus in our lives is to look to Jesus. That's what Luke tells us. Do you want to be sure? Then you must study Jesus. Do you want to be certain? Then you must look to Jesus. And that's what Luke is going to do for us in the weeks to come. He is going to show Jesus to us in all of His glory. And that is what we will see. And that is where we will find not only faith, but a sure and certain faith that we need in times of trouble. Praise be to God for Dr. Luke and for his message of sure faith. Let's pray.